Hey, everybody, how you doing? Everybody good today? <laughs> Unconvincing. Okay, great. Glad you're here. We've been walking through the Apostles' Creed. It's this ancient document that was written. I mean, it's kind of compiled, and uh, the oldest known, um, at least parts of it, are from 120 A.D. So this thing is 1,900 years old for the most part. And churches throughout the centuries and across the world even today recite the Apostles' Creed. Now, we don't do that as Baptists, but it has great theology. And so we're sort of walking through the theology of the Creed because it's a nice way to start the conversation. Today we're talking about Jesus' crucifixion, His death, and His burial. And there are questions about that, and so that's kind of where we've ended up. I've been, uh, I've been to a couple of funerals the last uh, month and so this kind of thing, it's not something you talk a lot about, I guess, uh, in polite conversations. We don't really talk about death that much, but we're going to talk about it a little bit today as it relates to Jesus and how he died and was buried, and, uh, um, and then next week we get to talk about uh, the resurrection, which is really, really good. This is, uh, this is who is this? Scotty, Scotty yes. Um, who said that? Because you're a Trekkie. Uh, okay, uh, Scotty. Now, the one line that goes with Scotty was what? Beam me up, Scotty. Right, okay. The guy's name is James Duhon, and he passed away a few years ago, and he paid a private firm to put his ashes, his urn, in a rocket, and he wanted his ashes to be in orbit. And so he died, he was cremated, they put his ashes on a rocket. They shot him 72 miles into the air. He was in orbit. And I thought, what an awesome um, story this is. The guy, who's, he's Scotty. Uh, you know, he's, he's in orbit. It's so cool. The part of the story I didn't quite get was, uh, it says here, uh, the capsule landed in the New Mexico desert after four minutes in space. So I guess the go to space and stay in space package was a little more than Scotty could afford. Uh, but anyway, that was his deal. Um, this is an airport. It's in Savannah, Georgia. Let me see. Is this, where's my little, oh look. Right there, you see that? This is a runway. These are two graves. Because there was expansion with the uh, airport. And these two people, at least they're ancestors, their relatives, didn't want them to be exhumed, and so they just sort of paved over their graves. The people's names were Richard and Catherine Dotson. So uh, if they had been moved, nobody would ever know who they were. Now if you fly into the Savannah airport and you look down and you see that, you've just flown over somebody's grave, just so you know. One last one, and the, 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 the message is uh, dead people don't, uh, don't uh, stop progress, evidently. That's the message. All right, this one last grave. Let me show you this one. This is in uh, France. It's the Osei Osne American Cemetery. You've probably never heard of it. I'd never heard of it. There are, let me see how many, um, two, 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 uh, 94 graves in this cemetery. You see these little, I'm not going to use the pointer. I'm just going to point. These little markers. Everybody in this cemetery was a traitor. They were all um, executed for high crimes against the United States. So these guys are all from World War I or World War II. 
94 of them. They don't have their names on these markers. The markers just have their numbers, a number to indicate. No flags are allowed. Nobody really kind of knows where it is. Family don't visit this. There's a hedge around it. And the only way to get into this particular cemetery, this plot, is through the, the front office. And, and basically, these guys were executed, buried, and forgotten. And today we're going to talk about somebody that was executed, buried, and not forgotten. We're going to talk about Jesus, who was buried and was executed, buried, and this is, the, this is the creed. This is how far we've gotten. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. This is what we believe as Christians. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. We talked about last week how that sort of connects Jesus to history. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And that's kind of where we are today. Now, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but from kind of the very beginning, some people raised questions about Jesus' actual death. Did he really die? Did it really happen? And the one theory that's kind of the most prominent one is called the swoon theory. I learned this in college. You're going to learn. This is like college stuff. It's really good. The swoon theory. Basically, the idea behind the swoon theory is that Jesus only, only appeared to be dead. Uh, to quote Princess Bride, he was only mostly dead when he was on the cross. And the idea was, and, and some people believe this, that Jesus was, was beaten and hung on a cross, but he didn't really die. And they took him off the cross and they put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone. And while he was in this cool environment, he resuscitated. He recomposed. He um, felt better. And he dusted himself off and he cleaned himself up and he was able to roll the stone away from the inside and he was able to come out and he looked so fresh and he looked so chipper that he convinced the people, uh, his disciples, that he hadn't really died but that he had just sort of died. He had swooned. It reminds me, I know, no, no, I know this is a very sophisticated crowd, so I know you might not get this illustration, but professional wrestling, yeah, if you've ever seen anything, Dwayne likes it. I mean, other than Dwayne. Um, Dwayne will understand this. Uh, maybe nobody else does. In, in professional wrestling, from what I can remember when I was a kid and watched this, there would be some guy, and he'd get knocked out, or they put the sleeper hold on him, right? And they faint on the floor or on the mat there. And then the, the wrestler, you know, Godzillaton or whatever the name they give him, um, he, he, would, he would dance around, kind of, well, not dance around, he would strut around, and he was going to put, you know, the cyclops of death on him or whatever. You know, he's going he's to really hammer him because the guy's down and he's just going to punch him hard, you know. He's going to get on, the, he's going to climb on the top rope, and jump. I almost put a chair up here and I was going to jump, but I thought better of that. And, uh, and just as this guy's in the air, right, he jumps to put the knee of death into this guy's face. Um, this guy, all of a sudden, 
miraculously resuscitates. And you're in the air about to stomp the snot out of him. And uh, uh, the guy rolls out from under it. And this guy, this guy hits the mat. And you know he's dazed. I love that. I love the dazed. I love it when they're dazed. You know, it's like, uh, it's great. Okay, this is what the swoon theory looks like to me. He wasn't really dead. He was sort of, kind of, mostly dead. Now, Mohammed wrote about this. He said Jesus did really die. And there are, like, Muslim um, clerics who debate this. They're like, we don't know exactly what happened to Jesus, but he didn't really die. They say somebody probably took his place. Maybe at the last minute, while he was going up the hill, Judas took his place, or uh, Simon of Cyrene took his place. Somebody took his place, and somebody else was crucified. It wasn't really Jesus. The swoon theory. It's out there. People still espouse it. There are issues with the swoon theory. Number one, um, Jesus predicted his, he kind of predicted everything. Look at this text. Now, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and toward the end of his life, it's like, hey man, we're, we're about, this thing is about to be over, and he's telling them all that's going to happen, and Jesus, we're going to Jerusalem, and I, the Son of Man, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn me to death, and they'll hand me over to the Gentiles, and they'll, the Gentiles will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me, and three days later, I'll rise again. This was before it happened. Now, Jesus was right on all of this. He was right about being betrayed. He was right about uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law bringing accusations against him. He was right about he was condemned to death. He was right about being handed over to the Romans, to the Gentiles, to be killed. He was right about being mocked. He was right about being spit upon. He was right about being flogged. He was right about being killed. He was right about all of this. So to assume that he was right about everything but the kill part and the rise again part doesn't make any sense. He was, he was condemned and beaten and crucified. So one argument against the swing theory would be, well, but Jesus predicted all this and all this stuff happened. But there's maybe even a better argument, and that is Pilate is the one who delivered Jesus over to be killed. And, and Pilate was, was in charge of the Romans, and the Romans were really good at killing people. They were experts at killing people. You know who's not good at killing people? Anybody that catches James Bond. Have, have you ever noticed in the James Bond movies? The James Bond villain catches Dr. No or whoever it is, catches, catches James Bond, and, and he, he says, um, let's dip him in boiling oil or whatever, you know, and they hang him up for, by his toes and... And the guy, then he leaves because Dr. No can't be there to watch the insanity of him dying, actually. And he has his henchmen do it, and they're lowering him toward the oil. And for some reason, they have to go outside. Smoke break, I don't know what it is. But they, they all leave the room, you know, coffee time, or you know, they need to get a cinnamon roll, whatever. And they go outside, and then in the, in the time that they're not there, uh, uh, somehow James Bond gets loose. It, it hap- it's like it happens every movie. Uh, and so... They, they are not good at killing people. Now the Romans, they were experts. In fact, they were so good that they learned how to execute people where it would inflict the greatest pain. I mean, these guys were, 
They were, they were sadists. And if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be executed. But what the Romans wanted to do, they wanted to use execution as a... It sent a message. It was a message anytime somebody was executed. And the message was, if you mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. And crucifixion, they would hang these guys on the cross, and it's not like they took them down immediately. Jesus was taken down immediately. That was abnormal. Most of the time, they would leave people hanging on the cross for days, if not weeks. And I just want you to kind of get in your mind how that would look. You have a rotting corpse on a cross as you walk down the road, and the message is, if you mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. Which, in my mind, would then be, okay, well, I'm not going to mess with Rome. Now, if they wanted to expedite the process, crucifixion is, you basically, you drowned. You, you can't lift yourself up enough to breathe. And so the fluid on your lungs just settles, and once you get so tired you can't lift up, you die. You suffocate. This is what crucifixion is about. And the beating... It kind of speeds up the process because if they beat you three fourths to death, there's not much. You don't have much further to go to die. And so pushing up, you know, Jesus, his hands and his knees, hands and his feet were nailed. It's the same with everybody else. So he's there and he has to push up to breathe. Well, eventually you're so tired you can't do that anymore. But being experts in execution and sometimes wanting to prolong the process, what they would do is they wouldn't beat you first. They would just hang you on the cross, and you would last for days, pushing up and breathing. I mean, this was, it's brutal. These people were, they were maniacal. It, it, was, it was designed to inflict the most pain and to create the greatest sense of respect. And so 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, you might hang on the cross and you were, you were exposed to the elements and you were exposed to vultures and it was ugly. And part of Jesus' crucifixion included Jesus being beaten. He was beaten with rods and then He was beaten with a whip and it would leave your back in shreds, and you would have great, great blood loss. And some people never even made it past the beating part. In fact, beating was usually about enough, and then the crucifixion was just extra, kind of icing on the cake. And the centurions who executed Jesus, they were experts. Look, they, they couldn't care less about Christ. There's a team of them. They couldn't care less. They were, uh, they were uh, throwing dice for His clothes. They couldn't care about Him. He was just somebody else being executed. There were two other guys that same day. There were three guys. And, and they would go to work in the morning and they would look at their order sheets and the order sheet said, hey, you get to execute three guys today. And it's like, okay, that's our job. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to make it as brutal as possible because that's what we do. And that's what... They did. And just to make sure, when Jesus was on the cross, it looked as if He had died, and these guys were experts in killing people. They know what a dead body looks like. One of the, uh, one of the guards took a spear with a long handle, and he 
shoved it into Jesus' side, and it says in Scripture that water and blood spilled out. And around Jesus' heart, the idea is, uh, medical experts tell us that, that there's a kind of a sack around your heart, and that would have been where this fluid came from. The point is this. Jesus was crucified by people who knew what they were doing. They didn't make a mistake. <laughs> they didn't assume the guy was just dead. They were experts. They knew what they were doing. They did it all the time. And the one thing that we can know is this. At the end of Friday, the Romans and the Jewish leaders and the disciples may not have agreed about much, but they agreed that Jesus was dead. He didn't die in a corner somewhere with nobody watching. It was a public exhibition. It was a public execution. And people watched what he was doing, what was happening. The one thing that we can be sure of is that Jesus didn't swoon. He didn't go to a grave and resuscitate. He didn't push a stone away all by himself. He didn't come out <laughs> two days later looking chip, uh, chipper and he didn't look great. Uh, they had executed him, and we can be certain of this. Let's talk about the burial just for a second. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about the burial of Jesus. And Paul writes, Paul is a guy who follows Jesus. He's a great, great follower of Christ, planted churches. And he said, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. I'm telling you what's been told to me. That's what he's saying. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried... He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures say. He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. So, there's four things here. He, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he was seen. This is the message of the crucifixion and the resurrection. He died, he was buried, he rose again, everybody saw him. That, that's, kind of the, that's the message of the crucifixion. And every uh, of the uh, all of the four gospel accounts, these are all four biographies of Jesus' life, they all include a chapter about Jesus being buried. Let's look at one in Matthew chapter 27. All right, kind of the end of the chapter. Uh, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Let, let's hit time out just for a second, because you need to understand this. It's an important historical fact that every Joseph in the Bible is a great guy. I'm just saying that uh, about kind of all Josephs, pretty much. Okay, just so you know. Uh, has nothing to do with the sermon. I wanted to make note of it. Okay, here we go. Joseph, who, was himself becoming, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of a rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance, to the tomb, and he went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how would you like to be the other Mary? I like she didn't have a name, you know. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It's kind of, you know, like I don't know her last name. I'm just going to call her the other Mary. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Okay. So, so one question, there's another theory. Um, it's how long was Jesus actually in the grave? He says three days and three nights. But the math doesn't quite work. So let's talk about it. I mean, again, we, we have nothing to hide here. If Jesus dies on Friday and he rises on Sunday, he, he, he dies Friday afternoon and he's risen on Sunday morning, that's a whole lot less than 72 hours. 
So what happened? How does it not, you know, Jesus said three days and three nights. Well, how does this work? It doesn't seem, the math doesn't seem to work. All right, all right, I, I, I'm going I'm to help you. I'm going to help you. It says, as evening approached, Jewish people and we tell time differently. Not that the time is different, but how they look at days is different. For us, a day begins at, what, 12.01? It kind of goes from midnight to the next midnight. That's the day is kind of how it works. For the Jewish mind, it was 6 p.m. to the next day, 6 p.m., okay? So when it says evening approached, it would be, hey, at 6 o'clock it becomes the Sabbath. It becomes Saturday for us. Now, what we know is that Jesus died between about 3 o'clock. I think the text says from noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, and about 3 o'clock, this is when Jesus passes away. All right, so if 6 o'clock is coming... That's the new day, and Jesus dies at 3. 6 minus 3 is? Great, Elise, way to go. Uh, three hours, three hours. Uh, we're a little mathematically challenged. It's okay. Jesus loves you anyway. Okay, so, um, we got, so Jesus dies at 3-ish. They have about three hours to get him in the grave because the one thing that Jewish people didn't want to do, it was kind of against the, the Jewish law, was to touch a dead body on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath began at 6. So there's this little tiny window of opportunity. And look at what Jesus said. Uh, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we look at days and nights and we're like, well, he wasn't really in there three days and three nights. Okay. This expression, it's an expression. Three days and three nights is an expression. Jesus was in the grave Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Part of three days. We, we use expressions all the time. Um, ladies, let me give you one. Your husband comes in and he says, I can't find something, can you help me? Anybody ever had that? Okay, nobody. Okay, great. Uh, um, honey, and he'll say, he'll say, I've looked everywhere, right? What does that mean? That means he walked in the room, he glanced, it didn't jump up at him, and now he wants you to find it. That's what it means, right? I've looked everywhere doesn't really mean I've looked everywhere, right? I mean, you get that? Okay, all right. So so when Jesus says three days and three nights, what he's saying is it's going to be three days. It's going to be part of three days. If I say to you, hey, I'm going, I'm going to go to... Uh, um, Charleston today. I'm going to be there for three days. I'm going to come back on Tuesday. Would, would you? That's three days. I'm, I'm there Sunday, Monday, part of Tuesday. He was there. He was in the grave Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. That, that's the way it worked. And so it was part of three days. Another question. This is another argument that's kind of given about Jesus. Maybe the disciples on Sunday went to the wrong tomb. You know, there's lots of tombs. Maybe he went, maybe those guys went to the wrong tomb. Maybe Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, whatever her name is, uh, went to the wrong tomb. Except, except, let's go back to our text just for a second. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, 
placed it in, in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, I don't know how, um, how upset you would be during this time. I mean, I've just been through the funeral of my father-in-law, and it is upsetting, but you still know where they buried him. My daddy was buried 15 years ago. I can take you right to the grave. I mean, it's something that you remember because it's important to you. There were people there. This wasn't, again, done in secret. Somebody didn't secretly bury him. There were people who were watching. The Romans, it says in Scripture, posted a guard there. It wouldn't have been a secret where Jesus was buried. Now, I want to talk about Joseph of Arimathea just for a second. Again, every Joseph in Scripture, great guy. This is a guy who had rich man stuff. You know, you want to know how, I mean, not everybody who's rich buys rich stuff, but Joseph had rich man stuff. Here it says that he had a new tomb that had been cut out of a rock. Only rich people had tombs cut out of a rock. I mean, this was just really an extravagance. This wasn't something that everybody had. If you're driving down the road and you see a Maserati, you probably think to yourself, that guy probably has money because that's something that not everybody has, right? That's kind of more than I'm ever going to be able to afford. If you drive by a home and it's, you know, it, it's got 10,000 square feet, you probably are going to think they, they probably have money because that's not something that I'm ever going to have. You understand that there are rich people and they have rich people stuff. Well, Joseph was rich people and he had rich people stuff. And one of the stuff, one of the stuff that you would have would be a tomb carved out of a rock. He had uh, burial spices to put on Jesus. That's again, the, the wrapping of a body in linen cloth and all that kind of thing, that was what rich people did with rich people who died. That, that was a rich pe person's burial. That was something. Look, most, most people didn't experience this, and yet Jesus experienced this. And Joseph was part of rich people. Um, he was part of rich people. He was part of the Sanhedrin. That's where rich people and important people, he was the ruling class of the Jews. He was an important cat with a lot of money. This is important to me. Now, look at this text. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. It is one of the most interesting texts in Scripture. Because I don't know, how do you be, how can you be a disciple secretly? How can you be a secret disciple? It's as if Joseph saw Jesus. He heard his message, he saw what he did, and he believed this is the Son of God. He just kept it on the DL because he had power with the Jewish leaders. He didn't want to lose his power with the Jewish leaders. And the best thing we know about Joseph is they took a vote, hey, can we crucify this guy named Jesus? And he voted no. There's no indication that he stood up for Jesus. There's no indication that he made an argument for Jesus. There's no indication that he did anything other than he just didn't consent. He might have even abstained. Uh, all, all in favor, raise your hand. All opposed, raise your hand. And he just didn't raise his hand for either vote. He, he was... 
He was more scared than committed. And sometimes, sometimes, in our lives, following Jesus is going to cost us something, and we could be more scared than committed. And here's the truth of the matter. We all face moments where we have to decide if we're going to boldly follow Christ or not. We're going to have to decide. And Joseph of Arimathea makes this decision. And here's what's super interesting to me. He makes it when there's nothing to be gained. So it says, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Okay. Jesus has died on a cross as a criminal. I mean, it's not like Jesus, there's a groundswell of support for Christ. In fact, everybody is running from Him. His disciples, the people who said they loved Him most, Peter, who said, I'm willing to die for you, he skedaddled. I mean, at least he stayed close enough to watch the trial, although when he was questioned by a little girl, he said, I don't even know Him. Now, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple. Peter was a not-secret disciple, and yet he threw Jesus under the bus as quick as he could. However, in contrast, you have Joseph of Arimathea who goes to Pilate. By the way, if you didn't hear last week's message, Pilate wasn't a warm and fuzzy kind of dude. He was aggravated with this whole trial. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. And now he's going to be annoyed by a guy who comes up and says, hey, can I have the body? Now, if you're Pilate and you just executed a guy, and really it was for sedition, he, the charge against him was he was trying to be the king of the Jews, which would be an affront to the Caesar. If Pilate wanted to, he could have executed Joseph of Arimathea too. There's nothing to be gained. And going to Pilate, he already. Uh, this guy was already irritated. Um, this was certainly going to ostracize him from his other fellow Jews who had voted for Jesus to be crucified. But the power of the cross transformed Joseph of Arimathea from a secret follower to a bold ambassador. And this is amazing to me. Now here's what happened normally to crucified bodies. They were normally left on the cross for a while. Again, it was a message. Remember, the message is, mess with Rome, this is what happens to you. Most crucified bodies never made it to a grave. They, if they made it to a grave, it was a shallow one that they may have dug. Most of the time, crucified bodies were taken to the city dump called Gehenna, and they were just thrown into the dump. They were either burned or the dogs ate them. That's how gross it is. Archaeologists rarely find anybody, any body, or any bones that look as if they'd been crucified because those bodies never got <laughs> fixed. They, they never, nobody took care of them. A crucified person's body was simply thrown away, but not Jesus' body. This is really interesting stuff. And it says that Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean cloth. And his window of opportunity, think about this, Jesus died at three, he has to be in the grave by six. Joseph, I mean, to, do y'all do, um, do, do to-do lists? Does anybody else do that? I have a to-do list, right? I got a to-do list. Uh, here's what, the, the one thing about a to-do list is you have to uh, keep up with the to-do list. That's the only thing bad about a to-do list. 
I'll forget it sometimes. I like I write it down and I forget. All right, so Joseph has a to-do list. I have to go get secure permission from Pilate to get the body. I've got to take the body down. I've got to prepare the body. And preparing the body was a process. You had to clean the body off. Now, this would have been much more difficult because Jesus' body had been beaten to smithereens. Not just crucified, he'd been beaten prior. They had to clean the body. You would wrap the body tightly in linen cloth. You put spices around it to preserve the body, but also to keep it from smelling bad. Do you all remember the story of Jesus and Lazarus? And Lazarus dies, and Jesus right, goes there, and, and he says, roll the stone away from, uh, from Lazarus's tomb. And what do Lazarus's sisters say about this? Do you all remember? Don't do it because in the King James it says, he stinketh. I love that. Uh, he stinketh. We don't want to do that, Jesus, because right now he stinketh. Which indicates to me Lazarus wasn't very wealthy. They weren't wealthy. They, weren't, they didn't have enough money to, to prepare a body like Jesus' body was prepared. And yet, there's a guy named Nicodemus, and in Scripture it says he brought 70 pounds, 75 pounds of spices and aloes, and they wrapped this body, and they, they basically, like a cocoon, from head to toe, they wrap the body, and they insert spices and aloes to keep the body from smelling bad as long as they can. It was a preparation that rich people got, not poor people. Look, the story of Joseph for me is this. It's never too late. You might not have stood up for your faith ever. You're a disciple of Jesus, but like Joseph, you're kind of a secret disciple. You like the notion of it, but you really don't want everybody to know it. But there was a moment in time where Joseph said, man, forget all that. I'm going to stand up for Christ. And then he's got a buddy named Nicodemus, also one of the religious elites, and he helps him, which is super cool. It's always easier when you have somebody helping you stand up for your faith. And they stood up for their faith. And, and in, in at least some way, if Joseph and Nicodemus hadn't taken Jesus' body off the cross... Maybe the women would have done it, I don't know. But in some, re some ways, honestly, there would have been no resurrection without a body that had been prepared and put in a grave. And that didn't typically happen with a crucified body. Joseph and Nicodemus were the very first people to honor Jesus after his death. When my father-in-law died there, uh, you, you as a church sent flowers and, and some, of, some people sent flowers and, and it was a way of honoring somebody who was deceased. My father-in-law had um, a request that um, instead of flowers, you could, you could send money to a missionary that we know in China, and, and people did that. There are ways to honor. We, 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 we still do this. We honor people who have died. Joseph and Nicodemus were the first. And though they maybe came to the party late, at least they came to the party. And though they stood up late, at least they stood up. And though it might not have been Maybe they could have done something on the front end to keep Jesus from dying. It was God's plan. But at least they stood up. I want to show you one other text. We're going to end with this. Isaiah was a prophet. He wrote in the Old Testament. You know, there are two Testaments. Old Testament, New Testament, and the, the dividing line is Jesus. Okay, Before Jesus, 700 years before Jesus, there was a prophet and his name was Isaiah. And he wrote about this coming Messiah. I, I got to show you this because this is super cool. 
And you, you've read this part. The next part's going to be cool, but watch this. 700 years before Jesus, he writes, he was pierced for our transgressions. The, you remember the Roman soldier pierced him. He was crushed for our iniquities. You remember the Roman soldiers beat him. This was before crucifixion was even invented. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A great text. Uh, Jesus fits this text. But this next part is... I had never seen it before. Look at this. For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of My people He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death. Now, <laughs> how many people were ever assigned a grave with the wicked and with the, and with the rich? Because remember, rich people are the ones who were buried in private tombs. Rich people were the ones who had their bodies prepared for burial. It's hard to be both, to be assigned a grave with the wicked and also with the rich. It really maybe only happened one time in history. Here's what's interesting. This text written 700 years before Jesus talks about Jesus' unique, not just death, but His unique burial. It, it, is, it is amazing. Jesus is everything the Scriptures predicted He would be. And, he, and only He fit this model. He's the only one. Today, we worship a God who was crucified, who died, who was buried, and He rose again. I'm going to show you one more part of the creed. Next week, we're talking about He descended into hell and on the third day He rose again. I, so many people have asked me about this. you got to come back next week. Uh, so next week, we're talking about this. You want to know about that beforehand? Tough. Next week. We're going to talk about it next week. So that's a little teaser. A little teaser next week. I'll go back to this good text. Okay, uh, next week. Um, I'll give you a heads up on that. It may not be what you think it is. Okay. All right, Jim, I know you already asked me. It's gonna, we're going to have. We're going to talk about it next week. It's really good next week. Don't miss next week. I don't know what you got planned, but you need to come here to know about uh, Jesus descending and all that. It's going to be great. Okay, next week. I'm so glad you're here. Let's pray. We're going to ask God to bless us. We're going to take up an offering in a second. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Lord, thank you for this message and for Jesus who alone accomplished what only He could accomplish. And He really died and He was really buried, and He really rose again. And even though we may have been secret followers, it's never too late to be bold in our faith. Thank You, Lord, for all You do for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.